bad news. Uh, listening to the Bible Project here, <laughs> bad news seems to be all around constantly. And I was just thinking about how the message of the salvation of Jesus Christ is interpreted by those who believe as the good news. But the good news is very much bad news for those who don't believe. Because ultimately their end is going to be eternal separation from God. And I think that has to weigh heavier on our hearts. I love the good news, the gospel message of Jesus Christ. There's nothing in my life that I treasure more. But in order for that to be realized and lived out, I, I have to take that same love for the gospel and bring it to those who so desperately need it. And so I think that uh, as we start this morning, we're going to take a look at a different form of unbelief. But it, it behooves us to understand the good news that comes with this particular type of message. Instead of receiving this as, oh, woe is me, I am such an evil or awful person and I have so much to work on and I just will never be healed or fixed. We got to take this as good news. Because it is a revelation to us in our lives to say, this is how I become more like Jesus Christ. And that is good news. So I want to kind of bring in a, a bridge or an attachment between what we talked about in the very first message to where we are at now. See, today we're going to be talking about the unbelief of anxiety or worry. And in Hebrews 3.12, it says, Take care, brothers, lest there be any in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. And then as you continue on in Hebrews and you jump to verse 14, it says, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. You see, in other words, the evidence that you have come to share in Christ, that you are united to him and have saving faith, is that you hold to the confidence firm to the end. So you hold that confidence in who God is through to the end. Perseverance in, in faith is necessary for salvation. When a person is truly converted, the heart needs to be changed so that new life that you live is lived by faith. The reality is no change, no conversion. We must be changed. See, the new birth introduces a person into a life of warfare. You say, whoa, whoa, how's, how's this good news? But warfare that we are called to fight in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 1 Timothy 6, 12, is actually called the fight of faith. And here in Hebrews... It is called the battle against unbelief. You see, John Piper kind of dissects this a little bit. And he says, uh, let, let's break this apart into what we understand the battle to be. In Hebrews 3, uh, the, the passage that we just read, it says, take care. See, that's the vigilance of the battle. It's there. It's present. 
you have to be aware that the battle is real. Take care, brothers, lest there be in you an evil heart of unbelief. See, that's the enemy in this particular warfare. The enemy of unbelief. Leading you to fall away from the living God. See, there's the warning. This is what happens when we don't take warfare seriously. If we don't pay attention, if we don't take care, the enemy of the unbelieving heart, the evil unbelieving heart is able to work its way into our lives and ultimately cause division between us and the one true God. I think that we would all agree that's pretty serious. In other words, the basic battle of our life is the battle to believe in the living God and not to allow our hearts to become an evil heart of unbelief. Because if unbelief in the living God gets the upper hand in our lives, then the result can be a hardening that makes us unwilling to repent and then cuts us off from the grace of God. See, we all know the ultimate demise in the end for those who do not put their faith in the salvific work of Jesus Christ, they get exactly what their heart longs for, and that's eternal separation from God. The problem with the heart of unbelief is, is oftentimes in, in the subtlety of it all. We don't actually really fully affirm it until it's spoken into our lives. And even at that point, we're a little reluctant. A lot of people are eager to say, oh yeah, that, that reminds me of that person. I, I wish that they would listen to that message or they would hear that. Because that, that, that really speaks to who they are. And the danger is, is pushing this off and saying, you know what, no. This applies to me. How do I work this unbelief out of my life so that I can be restored in the belief and understanding of who Jesus Christ is. So the bridge here that we get when we talk about fighting the faith and how we win the persevering or have that persevering faith is actually found in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. It reads, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Those who truly believe in Jesus Christ, those who are truly born of God, take the battle seriously. And they draw on the power of God to fight and to win with persevering faith. See, the bridge that I want to hang this on from the first sermon to where we're at today uh, is the, the truth that beneath our battle against evil in our hearts is this battle against unbelief. Unbelief is, is the root of evil and the essence of evil. All our sinning grows out of unbelief in the living God, and what he has said to us in Scripture. And I know that there's still some out there who are a little reluctant to buy into that. They're still not quite willing to say, you know what, not all sin is hung on unbelief. 
But when we really understand the nature of sin and what it is meant to do to us, we can understand ultimately that it's going to boil down to the fact that we don't believe that what God has for us is really the best. He wants your best for his glory. And so we come to today's text in Matthew chapter 6. It's a fairly familiar passage. If you've been a part of the church for a while, then, then you will have come across this passage. It's Jesus Christ speaking, and he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Barns, uh, sorry, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your family, your, your, your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Verse 27, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yes, I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so closes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This passage is a, it's a hard passage when you get into it. Because I think each and every one of us, in some small amount of way, we kind of find ourselves in it. And, and if this is not for you, and you don't find yourself to be an anxious individual, uh, there's many out there who are, and, and maybe you can direct them to this passage and explain this passage to them as they wrestle with their anxiety. I don't typically see myself as an anxious person. Pretty laid back until I, I begin to look closer <laughs> at my life and I begin to use the Word of God as a microscope or a magnifying glass or whatever it is that you want to look through to take a closer look at your life. When, when I do that, I begin to realize my trust level isn't where I think it is. See, these, these verses illustrate a specific kind of evil condition of the heart. It's a subtle condition because most of us don't pay attention to it. But if you stop and think about it, how many uh, different sinful actions and attitudes come from anxiety? Anxiety about finances. This gives us rise to, to a coveting heart or maybe greed or hoarding. And to maybe the extreme extent, stealing. Anxiety uh, about succeeding at some task. 
can make you irritable, abrupt. Anxiety about relationships. They can make you withdrawn or indifferent or uncaring or blaming. Anxiety about how someone will respond to you can make you cover over the truth. Lie. I think at some point in some of our lives, we've been there where we've had the opportunity to share the gospel message with Jesus Christ, but the anxiety that wells up in us because we're scared we're going to break relationship with that individual with what we share. We got we to gotta hold firm to the promises of God. His words don't return void. They're not empty and shallow or hollow. So if anxiety is to be conquered, if we could conquer anxiety, then a lot of sins would be overcome. But what is the root of anxiety and, and how can that root be severed or dug up from our lives? Well, we have to go back to Matthew 6. You see, four times in this text, Jesus says that we should not be anxious. Matthew 6, 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Matthew 6, 27, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Matthew 6, 31, therefore do not be anxious Matthew 6, 34, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow. Anx anxious or anxiety, Jesus Christ is saying you got to get out of it. You got to get that out of your life. But the verse that makes the root of anxiety explicit is Matthew 6, 30. It says, but if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? And here it is. Oh, you of little faith. In other words, Jesus says that the root of anxiety is the lack of faith in our heavenly father. As unbelief gets the upper hand in our hearts, one of the results is anxiety. So when Hebrew says, take heed lest there be in you an evil heart of unbelief, it includes this meaning, take heed lest there be in you an anxious heart of unbelief. Anxiety is one of the evil conditions of the heart that comes from unbelief. Much anxiety, Jesus says, comes from little faith. This is, a, uh, is the kind of connection we're going to see again and again as we explore this understanding of unbelief in the living God, and that the root of the sinful conditions of our heart really come from that unbelief. And, and I, I think that there kind of comes from this sort of idea and this notion to sort of abrupt or disturbed responses in this truth. Let me tell you what they are, and then I'll give you a biblical response before we go on to the battle itself. One response would be like this, this is not good news. In fact, it is very discouraging to learn that what I thought was a mere struggle with an anxious condition is, in fact, a deeper struggle with whether I believe God or not. And some can get upset. How dare you? 
I don't struggle with unbelief. I struggle with anxiety. Uh, hold on. Suppose a doctor, uh, or suppose, let me, let me draw an analogy here. Suppose you've been having pain in your stomach for quite some time and had been struggling with medicines and diets of all kinds to no avail. Your stomach still constantly hurts and you're still constantly in pain. Then suppose that you go to a doctor and after a routine visit, the doctor comes to you and tells you you have cancer in your stomach. Would that be good news? Well, you'd probably say emphatically no. And I would agree with you. But let me ask you a question this way. Are you glad that the doctor discovered the cancer while it was treatable and that indeed it can be very successfully treated? I'm sure at that point you would probably say, yes, I'm very glad that the doctor found the real problem. And again, I would agree. So the news that you have cancer is not good news because having cancer is not good news. However, it is good news because knowing what is really wrong is good news, especially when it can be treated successfully. That's what it's like to learn that the real problem behind anxiety is unbelief in the promises of God. It's not good news because the cancer of unbelief is good news. It's good because knowing what is really wrong is good. Especially because unbelief can be treated so successfully by our great physician who can heal all things. So I want to stress that finding out the connection between our anxiety and our unbelief is in fact very good news. Because it's the only way to begin the battle with the real cause of sin and get the victory that God can give us by the therapy of his word and his spirit. And I tell you all of this and I share all of you with this in full disclosure because I have, in wrestling with this message, understood the fact that I am actually a fairly anxious person. And I hold on to a lot. And I don't trust God with everything. And boy, do I need to, because there is no better way to live life than to give it to the one who is the giver and sustainer of life. Now, there's another possible response that the truth that our anxiety is rooted in unbelief in God's promise, and it goes like this. I have to deal with feelings of anxiety almost every day, and so by your standard, I should feel like my belief in God must be totally inadequate. In essence, I wonder if I can have any assurance of being saved at all. So what you're telling me is that if I wrestle with anxiety, then I must have unbelief. If I have unbelief, then I must not be saved. Uh, let me draw uh, another conclusion for you. Hannah and her brother were growing up, and as they were growing up, they liked to play this game, and I asked her this morning what the name of it, and she said that it was called Rally Sport. And it was a video game where they would take rally cars and do races in different locations all around the world. 
Her vehicle, favorite vehicle was the Subaru WRX. Subaru, eh? There you go, Curtis. Now, if you would, suppose you are in a rally car race. If you don't know what a rally car race is, then, well, there's nothing I could do for you. But suppose you're in a rally car race and your opponent, who doesn't want you to finish the race, throws mud on your windshield. And again, if you don't understand that terminology, I apologize. They don't actually get out of the vehicle and throw mud on your windshield. They would do it with their vehicle. The fact that you temporarily lose sight of your goal and start to swerve all over the road does not mean that you are going to quit the race. And it certainly doesn't mean that you are on the wrong racetrack. If that were the case, and I want you to understand that, if you were actually on the wrong racetrack and you weren't running the race or you weren't fighting the fight of faith, then the enemy wouldn't bother you at all. What it means is that you should turn on your windshield wipers and squirt a little of that wonderful washer fluid so that you can see again. When anxiety strikes us, it blurs our vision of God's glory and the greatness of the future that he plans for us. This does not mean that we are faithless or that we will not make it to heaven. It means that our faith is being attacked. At first blow, our belief in God's promises may sputter and swerve. But whether we stay on track and make it to the finish line depends on whether we set in motion a process of resistance. Whether we fight back against anxiety. In short, will we turn on the windshield wipers and will we use our windshield washer fluid? Will we clean the window? Psalm 56.3 says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Notice this, please. It does not say, I never struggle with fear. Fear strikes and the battle begins. So the battle does not assume that true believers will have no anxiety. Instead, the Bible tells us how to fight that and strike back. For example, 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxieties on him, for he cares about you. It does not say that you will never feel anxiety to cast on to God. It suggests that anxieties are going to come. And when they do, cast them on to God because he cares for you. When you worry about money, when you, you feel anxious about sharing the gospel message of Jesus Christ because you don't want to lose relationships, when you're worried that you're not adequate enough or sufficient enough to be in the space that you're in to do what it is or that you've been called to do. When you have that kind of mud flung onto your windshield, the Bible tells us, turn on the windshield wipers and squirt it with a little fluid because God cares for you. That's your washer. That's your fluid. So my response to the person who has to deal with the feelings of anxiety every day, and I know you exist. If not in this room, I know you're out there. Anxiety is very real. 
and people have to deal with it every day. Believe it or not, that's more or less normal. The issue is how we deal with it. And the answer to that is you deal with anxiety by battling unbelief. And you battle unbelief by meditating on God's word and asking for the uh, help of the spirit. The windshield wipers are the promise of God. They clear away the mud of unbelief and the washer fluid is the help of the Holy Spirit. You see how I drew that analogy together? That was pretty good, eh? Okay, maybe not. Without the softening work of the Holy Spirit, the wipers of the word just scrape those binding clumps of unbelief. Both are necessary, the spirit and the word. We read the promises of God and we pray for the help of his spirit. And as the windshields clear so that we can see the welfare or the war or sorry, the welfare that God has planned for us, our belief grows strong and the swerving of anxiety smooths out. So let me close by using some illustrations of how battling unbelief overcomes anxiety. Here in our text, we have the illustration of anxiety over food and clothing. Even in our country with extensive welfare systems, anxiety over finances and housing are very intense. But Jesus says in verse 30 that this is owing to unbelief, O you of little faith. And so this paragraph has at least half a dozen promises in it to battle that unbelief. For example, at the end of verse 32, he says, Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these shit things shall be yours as well. This is a spectacular promise. In everything you do at home or at work, put God's purpose first. And he will provide you all that you need to live for his glory. I do want to caution you. Just so that there is no mistake that I am preaching a prosperity gospel. I'm not saying you're going to get everything that you want so that you will have health and wealth, and all of those things. I'm saying that if your heart and your purpose in life is to glorify God and you make that your goal, God promises to give you what you need in order to make that happen. He's already given us the word and he has promised us the spirit to help us in those circumstances. Let's take the word. Let's take the power of the Holy Spirit and use that to the glorification of God our Father in heaven. It's a spectacular promise, don't you think? Believe the promise and financial anxiety will ultimately evaporate in the warmth of God's care. It doesn't mean that you're going to have more money, just so you know. It means that the anxiety over it will be able to be lessened and ultimately disappear. And I say that truthfully, again, full disclosure, because that's one of my biggest fears. I, will I ever have enough to be able to continually support my family in this increasingly more demanding world? 
And I hold that, I hold on to that. And the Bible's telling me I don't have to. If my goal is to glorify God in my family and glorify God in my work and glorify God in all that I have, he's got enough. He'll take care of it. It doesn't mean that I'm going to continually live in a fancy house, which we do, or drive a fancy vehicle, which we do. It just means that he's going to take care of me. I just have to be faithful to listen to him and make him and his glory my priority. Paul applies the promise of anxiety in Philippians like this. In verse uh, 4, verse 6, he says, Have no anxiety about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your request be known to God. And then in 419, he gives a promise like Jesus, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And so we follow today with the pattern of Jesus and Paul. We battle the unbelief of anxiety with the promises of God. What are those? When I am anxious about some risky new adventure or meeting that I have to go, I battle unbelief with the promise of fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. Isaiah 41.10. And I had to throw that. That's absolutely one of my favorite passages because it takes God and puts him in complete control of my life. I don't have to worry. I don't have to be afraid. The NIV or the ESV, I can't remember which one it says, that his right hand is a righteous right hand. And that's what I get to lean on. When I am anxious about my ministry being useless and empty, And I face that on a daily basis when I go to school. God, am I even affecting any change in these kids' lives? And I know that this sounds selfish that I'm talking about me because that's usually where my messages come from, what I fight with and what I wrestle with. Second Corinthians 12, 19 says, my grace is sufficient for you. Oh, sorry, no, Isaiah 55, 11 says, so shall my word that goes forth from my mouth, it will not come back to me empty, but accomplish that which I propose and prosper in the things of which I sent it. You guys have heard it. God's word doesn't return void. If I continually preach the message of Jesus Christ and the glory of God our Father, that doesn't return void. My ministry has meaning Because of the promise of God. When I am anxious about being too weak to do my work, I battle unbelief with the promise of God. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Deuteronomy 33.25, As your days, so shall your strength be. When I am anxious about decisions I have to make about the future, I battle unbelief with the promise, I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eyes upon you. Psalm 32, 8. When I am anxious about facing opponents, I battle unbelief with the promise, if God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8, 31. When I am anxious about being sick, I battle unbelief with the promise that tribulation works its patience and patience approved, uh, approvedness and approvedness hope and hope does not make us ashamed. 
when I am anxious about getting old. I battle unbelief with the promise, even you, or even to your old age, I am he. And to gray hairs, I will carry you, or lack thereof in some cases. I have made, and I will bear, I will carry, and will save. Isaiah 46, 4. When I am anxious about death, I battle unbelief with the promise that none of us live to himself and none of us dies to himself. If we live to the Lord and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living, Romans 14. When I am anxious that I may make shipwreck of my faith and fall away from God, I battle unbelief with the promise, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ, Philippians 1.6. He who calls you is faithful, he will do it, 1 Thessalonians 5.23. He is able for all time to save those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Hebrews 7.25 So I urge you, in your warfare, take up the book of God. Ask the Holy Spirit for help to lay the promises up in your heart and battle on. The church needs to have more of the word of God saturating its being. If we did, we wouldn't be so weak and feeble and afraid all the time. Remember the promises of Proverbs 21.31. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory... It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the Lord. Be faithful. Serve God to make his name great. Make him glorious in your life. Do all things to the glory of God. And then recognize the victory is his. So, in your struggles this day, tomorrow, and in the weeks to come. Remember, it's God that's in control. He's got this. Rest in his word and be empowered by his spirit and go live boldly for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you. We give you praise for all that you are. Lord God, as we prepare to close our time together here in fellowship, I am thankful that we get to do this in a space where people are together. And Lord God, for those who are at home and who are, are wrestling with illness or sickness or, or struggling with all of the COVID stuff that's going on, Lord God, speak to their hearts. Allow them to be blessed by you. Touch them. Bring them healing. 
Lord God, may they find rest and peace in the promises of your word. May the Holy Spirit come and empower them and intercede for them, Lord God. We thank you and praise you that you are in control of all things. I do not have to worry. I do not have to be afraid. I do not have to be anxious because you are God. And there is nothing that happens outside your scope. So Lord God, we we pray that the church will be emboldened, will be strengthened and encouraged by your word, and that they will be empowered by your Holy Spirit to go and do what your church has been called to do, and that is to bring glory to your name in all aspects of life. So, Lord, as we come and we close, we sing this last song to you in worship. Lord God, we are are so thankful that all hope that we have rests in you. So we give you the rest of our week. May we go in peace. We pray this in your son's name and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.